0: Hi, my name is Olga Johansson, I'm Russian. Half of my life I lived in Russia and another half in the Nordics, first in Iceland and now in Denmark. I'm raising three Icelandic-Russian children in Copenhagen, probably as Danes. Now I call myself a documentarist, a human rights activist, and right now, a journalist.
1: And I'm Andreas Floistrup, born and raised here in Denmark. I'm a journalist and have previously worked for the public service station DR, but right now I'm working at lead agency in Copenhagen where I'm producing the Nordic Talks podcast. I've followed the war in Ukraine closely and what I've been thinking a lot about is how it affects the relations between ordinary people from Russia and Ukraine and how we in the Nordics can help create and maybe further dialogue and hopefully peace.
0: Where are we now? a year from the beginning of the war. Can we create dialogue between people to people while fighting for Ukraine and European democracy? What role do Nordic values and society play in facilitating the process of creating peace in Europe? In the studio with us today for this special episode of the Nordic Talks podcast, we have Daria Wagner, the chairwoman of NGO Danish Friends of Democratic Russia, and Lesia Ignatuk-Eriksson, the chairwoman of the Association of Ukrainians in Denmark. Welcome. I will uh, start and ask the first question to you, Lesia. How did you end up in Denmark? I come almost 12 years ago. I married two Danish
2: men. And uh, I should to say, it was not easy trip for me because I was quite a successful woman in Ukraine. And uh, when I married and moved, I think it will be so easy here. But Denmark, it's different society. And you need to start from the zero, from the start again. But I managed and already for 12 years I live here.
0: How did you learn the news on the 24th of February about Russian troops crossing the border of Ukraine?
2: Oh, it was tough. Uh, I remember my husband come with a cup of coffee to me and uh, I just cannot understand. It was six o'clock in the morning why he's shaking, his hand shaking and uh, the cup, all the sounds made and I looking at him and uh, I, I think he it just took him 15 seconds when he says, Russian is bombing Kiev, and it's where i come coming from and where my parents live. And, uh, you know, something was in me totally broken in that moment because I was through these people who don't believe that war with, will be. I, when the Danish uh, TV invited me to talk about the possibility that uh, Russians will invade Ukraine, I was say no. I think it's propaganda. There's no will be war. I don't believe in this. And personally, I was in the December uh, with my kids, my husband in Kyiv, visit my parents. And now I'm thinking, what had happened if I was do it, for example, when if it's war starting this time? How did you feel and how did you react to this news? You know, maybe uh, first time in my life my kids was not on the first place. For me, I said to my husband, now you need to you need to be to their mother and father because on the thirty minutes my phone is starting to call and I think first day I have 160 calls. Because people say we need to do something, we need to help, we need to, and it was just not only Ukrainian; it just also was Danish people who was with us on the demonstration the day before, and they says we just will be drive to the border, Ukrainian Polish border, and help. We just will be, uh, we just will be helped to collect humanitarian help, and uh, I was feeling a, a big pressure, but in in some way I was understand that we need to do something.
1: And for uh, for part of me, still was not believed that it happens. Daria, when uh, when and how did you come to Denmark?
3: Yes, I started my PhD track at Danish Technical University back in 2000. And um, then stayed in Denmark, also got married and children. And I'm a Danish citizen already, and I has never been politically active. So my engagement into Russian politics, supporting the opposition and trying to figure out what's going on, it started after the Crimea occupation. It's actually from 2015.
1: And how did you learn about the Russian troops crossing the border to Ukraine on the 24th of February last year?
3: I learned it from Twitter. I was actually lying sleepless. It's completely similar to Lesia's story. I was one of those who did not believe that there will be a war. Just uh, shorter than two weeks before the war started, I was on Clement's show in the evening saying to hold Denmark, I mean, there will be no war. It's just, you know... Like Lisa puts it, some propaganda or it's insane. There is no win for anybody in in such a war. And I was wrong. And so I was lying sleepless because already the evening before it was pretty apparent it, it is going to happen. And when the messages started ticking in, I started crying and shaking in shock because I I was clear over vi- which severe consequences for the Ukraine that would bring, but also for my own country. And uh, what I did that day, I took the message from Vladimir Zelensky, the one where he's speaking in Russian, to Russian citizens, and I put it up with my own cover uh, message on the Facebook, and it has been seen more than one million times, 12,000 likes and all. And and. Um, I was in such a devastated shape when it was time to get up to work um, I had to call my employer and says that I, I won't be able to meet up um, for the office. So I was sick that day and uh, of course my thoughts and my heart was breaking by thinking about Ukrainians which have to wake up to the sirens, which have to abandon their homes and fight for their lives.
0: A year ago, the war started, and uh, since that time, um, we all have lost a lot of things, and of course, Ukrainians are still dying and people are still losing their lives. What was your biggest loss inflicted by war? Uh, I think, uh, personally, I can
2: say I lost beliefs in our neighbor. I don't believe in Russia anymore, personally. I don't believe in Russian culture. I even don't want thinking about this, because I lost belief that we can actually have a dialogue in Ru- with Russia before we win the
1: war. What has been like the the hardest part for you?
2: Personally, for me, hardest uh, part was when the my parents for two months sitting was in the uh, yes, just in the shelter, uh, and uh, they don't know what happens. And they just don't want to leave the Kyiv because they say, if everybody leave, who will be help? Our army, who will be protect?
1: How uh, are they doing now? Are you in contact with them now?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, yes, they're doing okay. They believe in Ukraine. My mother was helping uh, Ukrainian uh, troops, with uh, also with humanitarian helps. And uh, of course, it's very difficult for everybody. It's very difficult because for me, they don't want to leave Ukraine and... Uh, it's also very difficult for them because it's people who is an uh, older generation, who is uh, coming from after the Second World War-like generation, and their they, they parents see the war. And the, for them, it's very difficult to believe because they was living in the Soviet Union and where we was one country. I was born in the Soviet Union where we was one country, yes. And they, it's very difficult to also believe for them that this also was happening. But my parents was first who said to me that war is coming. And I was don't believe in that. You know, it was very difficult to see my university in their pink city is not exist anymore and hear a story from the uh, my friends who was be raped whose parents was killed this is pain i even cannot
1: explain how is it talking about it now to us (laughs) Uh,
2: If if I should be straight to you, I think all this idea with a dialogue with Russian and its provocation, because I don't understand, I don't see reason why the Russians people need to have a dialogue with Ukrainian, how it's helped. We Ukrainians want to see actions. We want to see Russian opposition with a demonstration here in Denmark on the street. We want to see that opposition try to push Russian people to against this war, but we don't see it. And this is why I don't think I don't see reason why the Russian people uh, need to have a dialogue. We, Ukrainians, need to have actions. For me personally, it's now like a seat in the room with a raper. I don't talk about Darian, you, but like in general Russian, who is still raping after one year and you're asking him for dialogue. You know, for start, you need to stop raping us. You need to withdraw and then restore uh, Ukraine, and then we can have a
0: dialogue. Thank you for the very honest answers. Um, I want to ask Daria the same question. How did the war affect you personally?
3: So I'm, I'm in constant sorrow. Um, I have never cried so much in my entire life. Then there are broken relations in the family. These people who are in favor, supporting Putin's military operation, as they call it, in uh, very this way. Um, these people, I cannot talk to anymore, and I don't think we will ever have a normal relation, ever. My niece, her husband, has been conscripted just from the beginning of the war, and he's in hiding. He didn't want to go to the military, and he didn't want to kill Ukrainians. And I have two brothers, which also in the conscription age, and they so far managed to stay away, but it's a matter of time, I'm afraid as the things develops and um, other personal consequences. It's uh, since the war started, we have created an NGO, Danish Friends of Democratic Russia. It is now by proposed uh, by, uh, by law, a proposal in, in state Duma to be declared uh, undesired or maybe even extremist organization. We don't know which one it would be, but it would be for sure one or the other. And, and the personal consequences is a long uh, jail time for me uh, when returning, going potentially back to Russia. So there's a lot of, uh, of personal consequence, even though... I live in a democratic and open country where I can freely uh, support Ukraine and I freely organize the demonstrations against the war against Putin. We have organized many of these events throughout the last year. Uh, it's still not without the consequence.
1: Have you, Daria, as a Russian, have you experienced since the war started a change in how people see you because you are originally from Russia?
3: I'm, I'm very grateful that to my life that I'm living in Denmark and uh, it's here, it's individualistic approach. I'm being judged by Danish population by my words and by my actions, not by my nationality. Personally, I haven't experienced any discrimination based just on the fact that besides Danish citizenship, I also still have the Russian one. Um, Yes, I find myself in a lot of discussions on different radio programs and, and so on where um, that we are talking about should the whole Russian cultural event be forbidden? Should, should one send out all Russian citizens out of Denmark? Should the visa restrictions for coming to Denmark be even harder? Yeah, and so on. So yes, I, I find myself in a defencing position, but it's completely natural. And I'm deeply ashamed of what my countrymen are doing in Ukraine.
1: Lesia, has your views on Russians changed since the war started? Russian people? Of course. How?
2: <laughs> Personally, I know Daria. She was with us uh, on the first demonstration when we started. Personally, I have an okay relation with her because I know she not support Putin. But as a collective Russians, yes, or uh, as a um, leader of opposition, I have a lot of questions to her. I think they do, not enough. But can I ask Daria? Yes. You know, uh, like we Ukrainians have one question. So why the millions of Russians cannot just go outside the streets like Ukrainians make it in the Maidan?
3: It was not millions, but mm-hmm. it was many. Then, then war can be uh, over. There there are two misunderstandings in this question. One is that that Russian population is not protesting and they are protesting. Since the 24th of February 2022, uh, both in Russia and in in the occupied Crimea territory, it's over 20,000 has been detained and put in jail, prosecuted, many got sentences and many got administrative penalty, that's fine, big fine, they have to pay. So people are being prosecuted, and police is being very brutal. There are 413 documented uh, incidents of torture. And that's just the official numbers where a defender has been called to the police station after the detention many of these people who are detained they refuse them the medical help their documented cases ambulances not being called and defenders are not being called so the real numbers could be much higher than this twenty thousand. so one and still people are coming out their protests every day there has been only 18 days where none has been detained the, the other the other point I wanted to make is that there is a misunderstanding that in Russia a peaceful protest of millions of people would lead to a change. We have seen Belarus: one million out of six and five million came out to the streets. Lukashenko is still there. In Russia, Khabarovsk region has been going out to the streets, the whole city, and, and demonstrating against uh, imprisonment of their governor, which they have elected by Putin's regime. And one year of demonstrations led to nothing. They are completely ignorant to that. So I'm afraid that the change of the regime cannot come from the unarmed civil society against very armed dicta- dictatorship. That will have to come from the Ukrainian victory on the battlefield with the military support from the whole world.
1: But can you understand um, if some Ukrainians or people in general sometimes think that Russians don't do enough or maybe could do more?
3: Yes, there are very strong uh, opposition forces. There has been a, a organization covering entire Russia. So Alexei Navalny's organization has had offices in more than 70 cities, all the major cities around Russia. And this an enormously hard crackdown on Navalny's organization before, now we understand it was because Putin was preparing to go to war. So he wanted to remove all kind of organized civil society uh, 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 which could create a protest. And they did that very successfully. So while there are still protests, the most active part of the population has left the country in protest. That's their way to protest. They do not want to take active part. They don't want, want to go to war. It actually um, gives me some solitude to hear that Putin had to make forceful mobilization. So they, th- their volunteers has been invited. So everybody who wanted to go into the war by their own will or for money to get paid they had time within the first half a year and the, that was so few people that was not enough he had to do forceful mobilization he had to empty the prisons and send them to the front lines and so and that just proves to me that the general population is not in support of this war. They are not going there as volunteers. They are forced to. They are also like, they, they are caught in the situation by their government and its dictatorship. So they do what they're told to. Daria,
2: I'll, I also read this uh, statistic from Fond Navalny how much people was detained 20,000 but Russian population is 143 millions it's even not 1% it's 0001% from the older population so we can we cannot say from Ukrainian side that we see protest in the Russia we need to see actions
1: but can you Can you understand that some Russians are afraid of protesting if they face jail time or if they have family living in Russia, even are themselves outside of Russia? They fear for their relatives being prosecuted or whatever by the, the Russian state. Can you understand that it's difficult for Russians to protest and demonstrate even though they really feel that they should?
2: But do you understand that Ukrainians paid price for this every day? When the Russians bombed in our cities, when the people died for the last year, five thousand missiles Russian was sent to Ukraine, seventy thousand houses and not exist anymore. Russia was uh, take to to the Ukrainian children sixteen thousand to to Russia. We paid price for this. That Russian not active.
1: I know, but but um, can you still understand it that some Russians? They want to demonstrate, but then they maybe don't have the courage. Sorry, though...
2: sorry. This is uh, this is not brave for me enough. This is not explained. If if you see that people died every day, you should
3: do something. I would also like to add, for Lisa, to make it maybe easier to comprehend, not not to forgive, but just to understand the situation. So, according to the official statistics, there are several million Ukrainians. It's in between one and a half, according to the... Minutes, three million. And three million uh, uh, Ukrainians, Ukrainian. Ukrainian citizens living and working in Russia, and they're still in Russia. And the reason why these three uh, millions are not taken to the streets, it's the same. It's the oppression machine, the repression machine. It's, it's horrible.
1: But can you understand the frustration from the Ukrainians Absolutely. towards people living in Russia, not showing have the courage to show that they are against the war?
3: Absolutely. Russia has a horrible history. It's not to justify anything, but I'm just saying Russians, as very few countries... In, in the world they, they are very aware of how brutal the state machine can be in my in my own family free people has been repressed in 37 and then state in, in late 60s says oh sorry that was a mistake you know but Russians of all people they know that If state machine is against something, they mean business and it's a very brutal machine. So it does not surprise me because the personal safety always comes first. If I would be facing here in Denmark, you know, 10 years of jail by naming war a war, I probably wouldn't say anything either. I'm ashamed to say so, but I completely understand why it's not going to come from within the population.
1: Do you think that there will ever be a democratic Russia? if the people of Russia don't start to show what they feel and protest against the regime?
3: Um, yes, once the condition given, I'm absolutely sure that the Russian society will very quickly develop into democratic European way. We just need the possibility for that. Right now, there is no possibility. That's why I'm continuing to be so active uh, because I hope that once with Ukrainian victory, there will be a, an opportunity, a historical window of opportunity to make a change in Russia, then we will be ready.
1: Lesia, listening to Daria and what her organization is doing to promote democracy in, in Russia, do you see in any way, that the two organizations you are a big part of, do you see that you can work closer together in the future that you are doing now to fight the same thing but from different sides?
2: And there's we need to concrete steps. We need to see that there's actions. We don't see it now. This is what we need right now. So just sit and talk, you know, we the Ukrainians, we don't have a time to talk we just need to fight. We need to be sure that it's uh, that world understands. We we hear the Russian propaganda. Yes, we don't hear Ukrainian voice so much. What we think about this? I say again, we have a personally uh, okay relationship with Daria. She was help us a lot in the start, but now we need to see from her as a leader a position that she uh, unites the Russian people here and they do something against to stop this war.
1: Daria, do do you agree that? you could be more present
3: we have uh, organized very regular events it's once a month at least we have uh, a protest um, by the russian embassy so i I do not agree that we do not do enough also compared to average danish population and i see myself as danish you know my whole grown-up life being in denmark um i i think i do a lot yes ukraine needs much more help But that we have to demand from everybody living in Denmark, uh, despite their religion, race, uh, sexual orientation and nationality.
0: But the question that uh, worries me, and I would like to ask also, is the peace between Ukraine and Russia ever possible? question to me.
2: Mm. You know, today in the morning I open and uh, read our Prime Minister Schmegal said uh, answer this question to the Germany's I think it was built, and he says my personal opinion it will be take hundred years because before the peace is coming, you need to will be yes wars need to be over. You need to withdraw your troops, Russian troops. You need to rebuild Ukraine, and then you can start dialogue.
1: Daria, do you think that um, peace will ever be possible between Russia and Ukraine?
3: Yes, and I hope that the Western community will help to make this peace possible and very soon. We have to step up the military help. We have to step up the economical help to Ukraine. And once Ukraine wins and regains all its territories, according to the 91 agreement, then there would be a peace. And then it would be allegedly responsibility of the Russian opposition to make sure that there are significant reforms in in Russia, to make sure that it develops in democratic and European way, to make sure that things like that will never happen again.
1: How long do you think it will take for Ukrainians to forgive Russians if it ever can be done?
2: But it's not my generation and I don't think that it's generation of my kids. So, minimum 50-100 years, I think. Minimum.
1: Why is that? <laughs>
2: try to to uh, put yourself in the shoes when somebody's coming and rape your kids and killed uh, your wife and this all over. For me, right now, relation between Russia and Ukraine it's look like you was in the relationship with a person who is abused you. and this and you try to go away from this abuse, and it's kind of, you know it's very difficult. This is my this is I just try to explain you why it's difficult.
0: But uh, the headline of the Nordic Talks podcast is Act to Inspire, Inspire to Act. What would you say the listener can do to further peace in Ukraine? First, we ask Daria and then we finish with Lisa.
3: Our main focus is that Ukraine should win this war. So please participate and support Ukraine by all possible means. Again, that could be just liking, sharing their posts, uh, contributing economically, contributing as a volunteer to some of the projects that they initiate. Everybody sh- should help much more to higher extent, and we can do more.
2: First, I want to say, stand with Ukraine and thank you, all the world that you for one year they stand in with Ukraine and help us, because Ukrainian we fight not not only that uh, for our uh, country exists, we fight also for Europe, because we know that uh, work not can stop only in Ukraine it can come further, and the last things we also just want to encourage, stand with Ukraine because. It shouldn't be that in 21st century who is the strongest. It will be God. Everything can do what what they want. Of course, I I will be saying that again. Ukraine is like look like David is going uh, against Goliath. But you know, uh, the Bible says that win uh, God not this who is strongest, but who is God help. So I hope that the uh, all civilized world will be stand with us and we came to the end of this very horrible story soon.
1: Thank you so much for stopping by and participating in this podcast, uh, Lesia and Daria. I think it was very interesting and important to hear what you both had to say. Uh, so thank you very much for coming by. Thank, thank you.
0: you. This was the second episode of a special edition of the Nordic Talks podcast about peace, trust, and people in relation to the Russian-Ukrainian war. Listen to the others on nordictalks.com. I'm Olga Hansen,
1: And I'm Andreas Floistrop. Thank you for listening.